You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. We're taking the time to talk about Christmas, the Christmas story, because it is good news for all people. That's what the angel first announced, that it was good news intended for all people. God literally has a desire that the whole world will know who Jesus is and that he will save all who believe. God wants that. He wants that for you. He wants that for everybody. And it's incredible news, right? We kind of, we hear that. Oh, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. We've kind of become a little uh, callous to the message, I think, sometimes, right? Uh, Because we've heard it so much. But I'm asking us, I'm asking you to take the time today to realize and remember what incredible news that is. That God of the universe who breathed life into you and I wants so badly for us to know him that he sent his son in human form so that we would know him. And he wants people to go tell people about him. You're not here by accident today. We're sending uh, funds and people to Cambodia. Why? So that they can know Jesus. It's a miracle what happens when we are able to find Jesus here at home, here, but then also be part of things near and far to help people know Jesus. You realize, look at the person next to you and say, do you realize you could have beautiful feet? You could, right? And you're like, Pastor, what are you talking? Have you seen their feet? I mean, so they slice my legs in bed because they don't, their toenails, okay? Anybody know? You could have beautiful feet if you would just go get a pedicure. Okay, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Here's why I went there. Verse 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message of the gospel is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scriptures say everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful are are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, the very first set of feet to bring the good news would be probably Jesus. His little, you know, baby Jesus, his little feet. Like, you know, everything on a baby is so cute. Am I right? Like, baby feet are beautiful. They just are. They're cool, right? Uh, I I know, like, when Ethan was a baby, though, um, for the first couple days, uh, he's not in here, is he? Okay, cool. Uh, for the first couple days, um, we had to have him in the NICU 
because uh, his, his sugar levels weren't uh, balancing out. He was a really big baby, and that happens oftentimes. But they had to, like every hour for a couple days, come and stick the heel of his foot to get blood to test the sugar in his thing. His little feet looked like plums by the time we were done at the hospital. It, they were not beautiful feet. It, it made you feel terrible. But normally, when you look at a baby's hands and baby's feet, they're really cool. Grown-ups' feet... I mean, most, most people don't really love looking at grown-ups' feet unless, you know, there's a pedicure going on and there's just, some people have just great feet. I have flat feet, by the way. And I literally, my brother-in-law, Paul, saw them the other day and they saw my flat feet and said, you got flat feet. You're a hobbit. <laughs> he called me a hobbit. Anyways. Isaiah 52 says the same thing. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Of course, we're not talking necessarily about literal feet, but when you walk to someone, when you go to someone and you bring them the good news, then whoever that person is, those feet are beautiful to the one who receives the message, Right? When we send messengers, we also, not only are they the ones that have beautiful feet, we have beautiful feet. You're like, Pastor Mike, I'm grateful that I learned today I can have beautiful feet. But it's more than just that. It's more than just that. It's a, it's a beautiful heart. It's a beautiful life. It's a beautiful meaningful life when you make your life about bringing other people the news about Jesus. Everything else that you can do to help a person, and we, sh we ought to do, you know, we do the food pantry, we do things to help people, but everything else we can do for them will not last forever. But for the one who receives the message of Jesus, those works will be forever. Think about how the feet of those will look to the kids in Cambodia when they come to build them a house. Those will be some beautiful feet, right? But it's not just for Cambodia. The good news isn't just for the ends of the earth. It's for your home too. This is, this is why our vision for Kingdom Builders is here, near, and far. It's for everyone, everywhere. It's good news for my home. It's good news for my community. It's good news for my town, my city, for my state, for my nation. It's good news for the whole world, for everyone, everywhere, right? And I want to challenge you for the next few weeks not to tune out what you think is familiar. It is Christmas. Yes, we're talking about the birth of Christ. Yes, we do that every year. But do you think you know everything there is to know about Jesus? Do you think you know everything there is to know about him coming into this world? If you do, I, you've got another thing coming. You are nowhere near the infinite knowledge you can gain about this. So can I just challenge you not to tune it out, not to think about your shopping list today, not, okay, pastor's talking about the birth of Christ, of course, it's Christmas. There's something new for you. The message is for you. Why? Well, one, because Jesus came for you. He came for you. Two, it's not just the missionary's job or the pastor's job to tell other people that he came for them. 
It's all of our, you follow Jesus, it's part of who we're supposed to be, someone who carries the message. And you can leverage the awareness of God during this time of year for divine conversations. Look for ways to make your feet beautiful. (laughs) But let me bring it closer to home. Luke chapter two, verse eight. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over, at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I would be totally scared too. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth on people who he favors. Now I've got some things to tell you today that may ruin Christmas for you. Talking about this story. I just, you know, if your kids are in here, I, you might, I, don't, know what, I don't know what you want them to know. Uh, it's not about Santa, but, but um, that's another conversation. But I want to talk a little bit about nativities. Now, when I was a kid, we would decorate the tree, and um, there's a few things we did to our tree I don't see people doing anymore. We used to just douse our tree in tinsel. You remember this? I mean, there was tinsel for months after that being found everywhere. Our cat would eat the tinsel, and the tinsel would look no different when the cat was done with the tinsel, if you know what I mean. And um, we would cover it in tinsel, and we would have all, all the things. But, you know, it wasn't necessarily a, a Christian home. We weren't an anti-Christian home, but we, you know, we weren't really a church-going family. But we did have a nativity. And uh, it, we, we always set it at the base of the tree, and it, we had the whole nine yards, right? We, we had, uh, of course, baby Jesus, and we had uh, Mary and Joseph, and we had the wise men and some sheep and some animals and some shepherds, a heart air, uh, angel, and the weird, some of you know what I'm talking about, the weird greenish-looking fuzz taped to the wood to make it look like a barn, I guess. I don't know what, what that stuff is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, what is that stuff? It, it, like, I wonder if there's asbestos in it or something. I don't know, like... It shouldn't, looks like not okay. Um, but we had the whole nine yards, and, and I would always like to take one of our Christmas lights on the tree. There was a little hole in the top of the, of the, uh, the barn uh, for the manger where I put the light in the little hole. You guys remember this? And I would try to keep the light there. And I was fascinated with it as a kid. I would sit there and stare at it and think about all the presents that were gonna be under the tree in just a couple weeks. Um, but... It kind of goes along with one of my favorite Christmas songs, which nobody knows. It's called Papers and Boxes. And there was a line in there that says, while you were sharing with the animals their room, did they smile and look at you like they do in the coloring books and cartoons? And I love that verse because of that song because it brings back the reality of what actually happened. We have in some ways inadvertently distorted the actual historical um, event of Jesus being born in, in an effort to try to teach about it, which is good. We say there was no room at the inn, but even that concept of an inn didn't necessarily exist at the time. In fact, the word actually means uh, sleeping floor. 
Um, and so there wasn't actually like they were looking for a Motel 6 and, and they got to town and they, they were out of rooms, but they had this, you know, barn in the back because, you know, Motel 6 will leave the light on for you or whatever. And um, it wasn't like that, right? Usually, a lot of times, usually the, the sleeping floor, the inn, was really the second floor of someone's place that was um, open to other people sleeping there, and the animals were in the lower floor. So basically, it wasn't so much a barn or necessarily a cave. It was more the sleeping floor for them was with the animals. It wasn't on the actual sleeping floor. Does that make sense? Right? And Joseph and Mary, what you have to remember too, Joseph and Mary were poor. They didn't have any money. So not only did it not make sense for them to go to the inn, but they wouldn't have even been looking for an inn because they really wouldn't have had the money to go to an inn. They were actually probably at one of Joseph's relative's house who didn't have any more room for extra people. Any of you that had Thanksgiving gatherings this last week know what that's all about, right? Like, we don't have any more room. No one else can show up today, right? We had uh, my nephew just kind of surprise show up on Thanksgiving. He wasn't supposed to be there, which was awesome, but we had to shuffle all the plates, and it was so, anyways, he had to be there. But it was probably like they were at Joseph's relative's home because they were poor, and there was no room at the home, so they had to sleep with the animals, right? So it wasn't necessarily this barn and with angel flying around it and animals smiling at Jesus. It was a real barn with real animals with the real smell of the barn. That, that would have had to have been something, right? I remember when we first, when, when Emma was born, how sterile they made that room. Like they came in when it was time, right? We were there for a long time before it was time. But when it was time, they came in with all this gear and all, these, all this plastic. And they, they pretty much almost covered the entire room. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're just super sterile. And the baby's born and, and it's wonderful. But then they, they go and they clean it off. And, and it's, it's just, there's so much happening in those first few moments to make sure that baby doesn't get sick or infected and whatever else. Could you imagine now having your baby in a barn or, or it, with animals and the smell of the animals and the dirtiness of the animals just sleeping on the floor with them? And could you imagine what that might be like to do, right? I mean, when I smell nasty things, I don't know about you, but I start to panic because I start to feel like if I'm around that smell too long, I'm going to start smelling like it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And whatever is causing that smell might infect me. <laughs> no? Am I the only one like that? I just, I just know because I, like, I even used to work at a fast food restaurant and I would not go out after work on those nights because I would smell like grease and fries and burgers the rest of the night. Like the smell gets on you, right? But that's what Jesus came into. The smelliest, messiest, poorest place and time and the world that he could have come is when Jesus came. And it's the same for you and I. The smelliest, most workaday parts of our lives, the dirtiest parts are exactly the parts that God comes to. Those are exactly the parts 
Maybe the bad news for you is that your life hasn't been a bed of roses. The good news is Jesus came to redeem your life. And he comes not just to the good places, but he comes to the smelliest, dirtiest places that we'd rather just hide from him. But that's where he comes. And the manger scene itself, just the manger scene itself proclaims to all people that there isn't a depth that Jesus wouldn't go to to reach you. If he's willing to do this, we sang about it, we shared about it during worship. If he's willing to give up the glory of heaven, the comforts of heaven, the awesome, unfathomable heaven to come be a human being, experience life like you and me, but not just that, a worse life than you and me. For, I mean, I, were you born in a manger? Were you born in a barn? Have you ever been asked that by your mom, by the way? <laughs> were you born in a barn? You know, he came and it proclaims just the event itself tells us a lot about the gospel. And first and foremost, my prayer is that you would come to know him as your savior. And then second, how can we take the next four weeks and share that with our families, with those around us, without causing drama? I'm going to give you just a few things. First is this, start with the Christmas story itself. Just read it. Just you yourself read the Christmas story. Share it. Every year at our house, before gifts can be opened, we sit there and we read that and we discuss it and we talk about different things that we didn't notice last year when we read it. And we do those things regularly. Why? So that the gospel is present. Start with the Christmas story. Start it in your home, start it with your friends, start it with somebody. To continue with your story. Look for what God's done in your life since you've been saved, or this year, or this month, or this week, today. There is power in personal testimony, right? Why else would anyone care about this kind of an event unless there's also people, people they know, who say, this has affected my life. God has used this in such a deep way in my life, and I have to tell you about it. That is what gets a person to care about this. It's not a preacher. It's not an eloquent speaker. It's not somebody who, who can put together some great notes that can convince them that this is the truth. It's really the person who has a personal relationship with Jesus that they can explain and talk about in some ways that will draw people into Jesus the right way. I know people, some of you know people, they know the Bible backwards and forwards, but they still don't know Jesus. It's sad, really. But we have to continue with our story. We're really not always great at doing this, by the way. If you ever want to catch somebody off guard, just look at them and say, hey, what's God doing in your life these days? What? Like, it's just not a question we normally ask people. We should do that more. 
Why? Because the word of our testimony will increase a person's faith. When you share with someone what God has done in you and for you, that person then gets hope for their own life and learns strategies for their own life to get closer to God. When you share those. When you don't, they don't get the benefit of that. That's why we do life groups, by the way. Life groups are an opportunity to share from your experience, to share from what you've come to understand about a passage you're studying. Why? So that others can be built up in their faith. Start with the Christmas story, continue with your story, and this one is so important, guard your mouth. (laughs) Guard your mouth. When you start with the Christmas story and you continue with your story, everything you say after that will reflect back to those anchor points of the Christmas story. (laughs) When we say foolish things and we say true things, the foolish things allow others to question the truth of the gospel because both of those things came from the same mouth. When we proclaim truth and then we say foolish things, it undermines the credibility of the gospel in a person's life. Now, it just amazes me how bad we are at this sometimes. I'm going to make another confession. Since I've been married, uh, which has been a really, really long time (laughs) of wedded bliss. Just was trying to see if she was in here. We have spent, I think, all all but one Thanksgiving with uh, her family, the Peter Nells. And since my parents have lived here, they come too. And and, and it's it's fun sometimes to find our own little space in that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a, they're a much bigger family, and they're always there. And I've become known in that family for starting controversy. <laughs> I've become known for that. They're all pastors, all have opinions, all like to make sure that you get their opinion. And they're so invested in those opinions, they will debate each other with vigor. And I have to say, it's very entertaining to watch. I'm just going to be honest with you. And so I've gained a a reputation for just lobbing some controversial topic at the table and then backing away with some popcorn. (laughs) um, And and so by the end of all the arguing, I'm realizing normally, uh, okay, my feet are not so beautiful right now. I did not bring good news or truth that will enhance people's walk with God. Instead, I brought controversy. Right? It might not be so uh, innocent as me just having fun. I mean, we all laugh about it now, right? But it could be uh, something totally different. We could walk into family situations just ready to argue. We spent the whole last year not being around family, and I, you know, so and so might be watching CNN, and I might be watching Fox News or Newsmax, and I've been waiting this whole time, this whole year, so I can beat you down with all the arguments I learned of my point of view. And oh, by the way, Jesus came to save you. (laughs) we've got to guard our mouths remember your king's stance on those people Jesus he loves them is anything is it worth saying a thing if it pushes your granddaughter further from Christ if it pushes your son or daughter away from Christ because they associated what you said with the Christmas story We've got to guard our mouths when it comes to having a critical spirit. 
Just don't complain. Nobody wants to listen to that, right? It's not going to change anything or anyone. I, I, I have to tell you, this is something, again, that we don't always get so well. When, and I come back to this because I have kids too, and I have a family, but when we bring our family to church, because we say this is important and we celebrate the birth of Christ, I'm not going home and picking apart the service about what they did and didn't do right. Because what does that do to my kid? I'm going to go home and say, hey, what'd you learn about this? I'm going to guard my mouth even if I have a critique. My critique isn't all that important. The gospel is, right? The, right along with that one, guard our mouths, is leave the TV off. <laughs> leave the devices off. It's time to turn off your 24-7 around-the-clock editorials from Fox News, CNN, and Newsmax. Anybody have a... a uh, a house like that where it's on all the time. Like, I, I, I remember realizing this years ago that I always had something going on. I still kind of do a lot of times. Some kind of noise going on. And, and when there's absolute silence, I don't know about you, but I get really uncomfortable. Like, I just do. I'm, we're one of those couples that we run the fan in our room all year round like it's winter out, but the fan's running. Why? Because dead silence just is not something I could fall asleep to. But if, if, if we have something, if we have a TV or we have devices, and, and really it's more that, you could sit in a room with six people all watching something different on their devices and you walk in and you can hear it all. It's just, it's just mind-bending. It's just really irritating. It's like everybody shut it off. Why? So that we can talk to each other. Right? We fill that space with something else. And now we don't have to fill it with conversation. I hate this sometimes at restaurants. When I go to restaurants, and it seems like every restaurant anymore, they got TVs. Somewhere there's a TV for you to look at. And it is a battle for me. It's just not, not because I don't like people, but if there's a TV there, what do we do? Our eyes just gravitate to the screen. And before you know it, the both of you, you, know, you and whoever you're eating with are both looking at a different TV and not talking to each other. Don't do that. Leave your TV off. Along with that, be present. Be present in those moments. The busyness of our schedules during Christmas will often make us miss key moments with our friends and our family and key opportunities to share the good news. Your family, now listen to this very carefully, your family needs your presence more than it needs your presence. Do you get what I'm saying here? Your family needs your presence more than it needs your presence. Some of you will get that later. But they need you to be here. I've never had to sit down with someone and work through personal trauma because their parents couldn't buy them nice gifts. I really never have. I have, however, sat with many people who have had personal trauma because mom or dad or a relative was completely disengaged because they were too busy to give attention to their child. Not once have I ever met with a couple who's in trouble because of bad gifts or bad food or a gathering that went wrong. I have, however, sat with many couples because of how det detached they've become in all the busyness and the tyranny of the urgent. 
And it sadly happens a lot at the very time of year that we're celebrating the arrival of our Savior. And the enemy would love to use those things to rip us off of that experience. Ignore the actual date. You want to have a good impact on your family. Uh, ignore the actual date. When it works out for the whole family to be together on Christmas Day, that is awesome. I love that. But the bigger your family grows, the further away you move, the harder it becomes for everyone to be together. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So if you, you know, you find yourself saying things like, this is great, but I sure wish we could be together on Christmas Day. Stop that. Let it go. It's just a day on the calendar. Newsflash. It's not the actual day Jesus was born. You're like, what are we doing? That's not his birthday. We picked the date on the calendar to celebrate that he was born. It's not actually his birthday. So don't make it something bigger than it has to be, right? Make it about the gospel. Don't pick a fight. We talked about this. This is for people on the right, people on the left, people in the middle, Democrats, Republicans, leave it. There's a time for those conversations and the Christmas gathering is not that time. Some of you may have heard of the 1914 Christmas Day Truce. Have you ever heard of this? The English and the Germans were fighting. It's World War I, and they're fighting over Christmas. And it's Christmas Eve, and the fighting dies down for a little bit, right? And they're all, you know, they, they couldn't be with their families. And something remarkable happened. This is actually real life, what happened. I've got a, a video to show us. Go ahead. Jenkins, Oakley. No. Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. 
Rose, she's called. I'm soon, I'm just soon. So that actually happened. <laughs> Could you imagine? You're literally fighting for your life. And everything stopped. It, they, it wasn't even that they stopped. They actually literally did play a game of soccer, football, as the rest of the world calls it. And then, <laughs> and then they go back to fighting. But for one day, out of that whole year, the English and the German who were trying to kill each other realized that there was something bigger than what they were dealing with right there. How could it be bigger than that? You're on the front lines and, and bullets are coming at you. What's bigger than that? Jesus. And if the English and the Germans can stop fighting for one day, so can you. So can you. Deep family divides, deep hurt that hasn't been dealt with. I get it. I'm not saying that it, it goes on undealt with. But if for one day, and I love this example for that, if for one day they can lay down their arms and connect as human beings, why can't we do that with our friends and family? Amen. We should be able to do that. Why? Because of the gospel. Imagine this. These two fighting each other so vigorously, had common ground with Jesus. And at Christmas time, it's not the time to draw lines and start a fight and make sure everybody in the family knows who's on what side and what their opinions are. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And if you make it about Jesus, then maybe you won't have to fight so much this time around. Don't pick a fight. That's how you share. That's how you share good news, is you don't necessarily make it all about the bad news. Be generous, and I'm not talking about money. I don't care if every gift under your tree is handmade or it has any monetary value at all, but the gospel should inspire, inspire a heart of generosity in us. We should be generous in our giving to each other. We should be generous in our giving to our community and certainly to our families. Uh, I heard this story about someone in a family gathering who agreed to bring uh, a ham, a special ham, probably a honey-baked ham. Anybody love that? 
And everyone in the family went on good, uh, good uh, on and on about how good that ham was, especially the preparation and, and how hard it was. It was cooked in the ground for hours. And I don't know what that's about, cooking things in the ground. But anybody cook things in the ground? It was cooked in the ground for hours. And the family dinner is an all-day affair. And, and so later on in the day, after everybody's already eaten, they come for their second round, and the ham was gone. It was nowhere to be found. No one knew. They looked in the refrigerator, they looked in the garage, they could not find it, it was gone. Days later, they learned it was because after everyone had their first course, the person who brought the ham packaged it up and took it to their car so they could keep the leftovers for themselves. <laughs> hey, it was their ham, right? They could do whatever they wanted to with it. I, I'll be honest, there's been times where Danya's brought food to a party and I'm like, hey, if there's some left after a little while, let's wrap it up and bring it home because I really like this and you never make it. <laughs> it was their hand. They could do whatever they want with it, but it didn't necessarily communicate a heart of generosity to the rest of the family, did it? And by the way, the rest of our families are exact opposite, right? You, take this home. Don't you want to take this home? Don't you want to take this out of my kitchen, right? That's, we're the opposite. But this was a, just an example of not being generous. We need to be generous towards our family. All that we do should be done from love. All that we should give should be given from love. Jesus shows uh, God the Father's extravagant level of generosity. Him coming to earth shows the heart of generosity of the heart of God. And we are made in his image. And we've got to be generous. Not, not just in offerings. Generous in, guys, whoever, generous in helping to do the dishes. Generous in in helping to put the food away. Generous in serving one another. Like generosity isn't just about giving money or something really valuable. Generosity is about doing things for each other, being generous towards each other in how we serve one another, right? And that makes a big difference when it's time to talk about Jesus. You don't wanna be the stingy person talking about Jesus. And then finally, always keep an outward focus. Consider who else needs the good news. Remember Romans chapter 10, verse 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For scriptures say everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can, then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We've got to remember that there are people who still need that good news. Got to remember, and some of us, it's hard to imagine this, but there are, literally, we are surrounded by thousands of people who have never heard these words, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like we take the message for granted. But there are people in your life 
who've either never heard that phrase or never understood it's talking about them and they need to hear, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What could you do? Could you invite one more person to your celebration at your house? Who else can you welcome in? Don't be exclusionary, be inclusive. Make your home a place where more are welcome. Someone who doesn't know Jesus may come and they may be compelled that something about your home, some spirit that resides there really made an impression on them about your faith and perhaps they will even ask some questions as to what that really was, then tell them plainly, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Years ago, and it was right around Christmas time, uh, we lived in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, Warwick, but it was all the same. And I worked at the Apple uh, store there, and uh, I was, in case you've ever wondered if I'm a genius, I worked at the Genius Bar at the Apple store. And one of my bosses, uh, some of you have heard this story, one of my bosses was openly pagan. One of the nicest people you've, you would, could meet, openly pagan. And I was also pastoring at the time. And so, you know, in my back of my mind, I was kind of wondering, like, you know, what does she think of me kind of a thing? And because she knows she was one of my bosses. And she came back uh, and it was right around Christmas time, super busy time. And she's just bawling. And I'm like, hey, are you OK? And what's going on? And her brother-in-law, who was 28 years old, had just died of a heart attack. And she didn't know what to make of that. And this was an opportunity. This was a moment. If I had been looking for ways to draw lines with her about how different we are and how bad paganism is and how good Christianity is, what happened next could not have happened. I said, would you let me pray for you? And she wiped her eyes and she looked up. She said, you would do that? I said, I'm going to pray to Jesus. But yeah, I'll do that. She said, okay. And we prayed right there. I asked for the peace of God that passes understanding to come into our heart. I asked for him to bless her sister who just lost her husband. And I asked for her to come to know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. We said, amen. From that day forward, she would always say, I love it when you're working. There's so much more peace here. And I would always say, it's not me. It's not me. I'm not the source of that peace. And then when I was going to move here, when I told them I was moving here, she's like, you can't move away. You're going to take away all the peace. I'm like, it's not me. You can have that peace apart from me. Believe me, it's not me. Right? I share that story because I want all of us to be ready for those moments. To be ready for those moments. And everything I talked about today, all these things to help you share the good news, this is all in preparation for those kind of moments because those kind of moments don't happen when we don't guard our mouth, when we do start fights, when we do those things, we, we negate those kind of opportunities from happening. But I want us to have those opportunities, first and foremost, with the people we love already, right? 
He came for everyone, everywhere. He came for those far from us, those near to us, and he came for us, he came for you. He comes to you in your smelliest, dirtiest, most needy places, just like he came into this world. And he comes to help other people in their smelliest, dirtiest seasons of life to come to the good news. And when he comes to you with that, he pulls you out of those dirty places and he gives you this amazing mission to have eternal purpose to help other people come to that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for, obviously, for coming to this world, but we thank you for this time of year where people's awareness of you and Jesus coming into this world and being born in their awareness of the Christian faith. We thank you for this time that we have. Help us, Lord, to make the most of it. Lord, help us. If there's anyone here who's not come to a place where they've called on you, you said for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Help today be the day. But Lord, also guide our hearts and our thoughts and our minds towards those in our lives that are ready to receive that message this year. Those who need a seed to be planted, those who need a seed to be nourished, God, direct our thoughts and our mind on those. And with your eyes closed for just a moment, no one looking around, I would ask, you say, Pastor Mike, I need to call on the name of the Lord today. I need to call on Jesus. You said he comes to the smelliest, dirtiest places of my life and Maybe you feel like that's where you are right now. He's come for you in that situation. He's here for you. And you say, I need to call on him. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you if that's you. Amen. Amen. Now, you don't have to wait until you're in the dirtiest, smelliest parts of your life. You may be in the after effects of that that happened years ago, but you could still call in the name of the Lord. You say, Pastor, it's maybe not the worst part of my life, but I still want to call on Jesus and not wait for the worst part of my life. You say, that's me. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift your hand? Amen. Certainly not the worst part of my life, but it's still, I still need to call on him. Last question, and then we're going to pray. Say, Pastor, you share all these ideas on how to be able to bring the good news to my friends and family, and the Holy Spirit really convicted me on one or two of those points. And I want God to work with me on that level so that those around me can know Jesus. Would you pray for me, Pastor Mike? With, that's you. You say, there's, there's a few of those things I know. I do them, I do them every year, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray that God help me not do that this year. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Amen. I won't, I won't do it. I won't do it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would this morning. I'm going to pray and, and, and we're going to dismiss here in just a minute. But I want you as you're going, just encourage one another on your way out about the good news that Jesus came. And encourage one another on the way out that, hey, if you bring somebody church if you bring someone they're gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna show them love i'm gonna show them kindness it's gonna be an awesome thing amen you were encouraged by today's talk be sure to rate us share with a friend and hit subscribe on spotify itunes or wherever you stream your podcasts
Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.